where it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Welcome, John. and Explain this passage to us. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, congregation. It's a, a lovely privilege... I haven't been at the branch for some time, but at the evening congregation I have, and so good to be there, so good to be with you. Ben has prayed for us. I'd like us congregation together to think of this, and I'm sure we've all seen them, the home reno shows. They start with this absolute shocker of a house. And then the team move in and they get to work and sometime later they're finished and you stand back and you have a look at it and you go, wow, that's amazing. Or it may be a gym program. You see this, I'll say it's a bloke this time, and he's not in real good shape, but he joins the gym and he follows the program and a couple of months later you catch up with him and you look at him and you go, wow. That is an incredible transformation. Now, what do those two things have in common? Well, in each case, there is a before and there is an after. And in the middle, something amazing has happened. And that's what we've got in this text. But what we have here is something more amazing, more incredible than any home reno or any gym program. What we have is that one word, grace, and all it does. And I guess we've all heard that word. A bank will give you a period of grace. A man like Harvey Weinstein, just this past week, has had what we could call a fall from grace. We use grace to name a church or a baby girl. It's in church. People talk about it outside church. But what exactly is it? How does it work? And why was it such a big issue at the time of the Reformation 500 years ago? 
Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to start in the most unlikely place. A cemetery at a grave. And that grave has got your name on it. So let's start in the grave. Jordan, I wonder if we could have our first slide up behind us. Thank you. Let me read through and start with you again where we started, just to refresh our minds. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Friends, what's that saying? It's reminding us that physically we can be alive, but spiritually we're just like Lazarus in his grave. We're stone cold dead. So when it comes to a relationship with God, or if you like, when it comes to going to heaven when we die, that's not going to happen. That can't happen unless God does something because we're dead. Now, why is that? Well, as we see in in these verses, the problem is we're on the wrong agenda and we've got the wrong leader. It doesn't name him here, but it's speaking of Satan. And the problem we've got, and we all can't escape it, is the problem of sin. And what it does, and this is what it looks like, it basically shoves God out of our life and it puts us in the centre. And I do believe we see this all around us. If you ask most people today, who calls, who's, who calls the shots in your life? Who sets the agenda? Who tells you what's right and what's wrong? Most people will say, I do. I'm an adult. I'm responsible. And it's the same with the same-sex marriage postal survey. How does a person decide which box they're going to tick? I do. It's my life. And I'll do what I like. And that attitude, that attitude is what the Bible calls sin and that will never lead us anywhere good. It leads to actions which are not good and in the end it will lead, as the next verse says, and I haven't got it up there, it's going to end under the wrath of God. That will not end well. Now I know that when we hear that, sometimes we react. I'm a pastor People arc up against me when I mention that word because most people don't see themselves that way. In fact, they actually see themselves as being pretty good. But let me ask and let us think together about this. If most people are pretty good and only a few are really that bad, why is our world such a crazy mixed up place? Why is a place like Launceston, lovely city that, we is, that it is, and we do enjoy living here, why is it getting more rough and more ugly as time goes on? And friends, let me ask you, in your own heart, 
Why is it that it's so easy to make a New Year's resolution, but so hard to keep it? And why is it that at times relationships can be so incredibly enriching and fulfilling, and at other times just plain hard work, and family life can be a battleground? And we could go on, but the bottom line is there's something flawed in our makeup. And we all know it, and we all understand that in our hearts we have a desire to do what's right, but we don't always pull it off. And sometimes we, all, we look back and we say, oh no, what was I thinking? Why did I say that? And my guess is that all of us have been on the receiving end of some of that. Friends, what does that mean for a relationship with God? Well, it's saying to us that unless God makes it happen, it just won't. It can't. It's saying we need more, as than, we need more than just a bit of a leg up to get our way into heaven, as the Roman Catholic Church did and does teach. It's not that God has to put us on the ladder and then we're okay and we can take those final last steps up the rungs into glory. It doesn't work like that. We don't need a bit of life coaching. We need resurrection. We've somehow got to get out of the grave because that's where we are apart from grace. And that is what makes grace so amazing. It comes to us in the grave, and it takes us out of there. That hymn from John Newton, you probably know it, Amazing Grace. Why did he call it that? Think of the first line. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Most people don't like to hear that. I guess we don't either at times. But that is the open door into the glory of what grace gives you. You see, grace is only ever attractive to sinners. And so the question we must ask ourselves as we look at the start of this, at the before, have you seen yourself at the grave, in the grave? And have you understood that it is grace alone and only grace that's actually going to get you out of there. Because when you see that, you are going to start to see the after, where we're going with all of this. And Jordan, if we could have our next slide and we see it in our text, in heaven. Note that first word, but, the contrast, but, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Who's doing all the work here? Is it us? No, it's not. It's God. 
It's God who raises us up. It's God who makes us alive. It's God who seats us in glory with Jesus. And what drives him to do that? Love. Great love. Mercy. Rich mercy. But please note the particular twist on each of these. It is love to the unlovely. It is mercy to the undeserving. And to help us grasp that, think of a father. No, actually, think of yourself as a father. And you have one son. He is your only son. And you love him deeply. Would you give him up for anyone under any circumstances? Would you give him up for those who didn't deserve it? That's what God did. Or think of a soldier who makes the ultimate sacrifice, as sadly so many have. But this time, and this is the twist, not for his mates, but for the enemy. And that is what Jesus has done. And that is the scandal of grace because in a world where people say there's no such thing as a free lunch and you don't get something for nothing God says yes you do come back with me to the cross of Calvary and see how I gave up my one and only son for you Jesus says yes you do Come back to the cross of Calvary where I died for the enemy. That is the scandal and that is the wonder of grace. And what is so absolutely amazing about all of this is that after that cross, it is not just Jesus who rises out of the grave and who returns to heaven. He takes us with him. And if I could have the next slide, please, Jordan. Really, this is what faith is. And we could go into an academic discussion and all sorts of definition. But at its heart, faith means you are joined to Jesus. And we must grasp this. Because that's how grace starts to do something. We are joined to the one who is in heaven right now. And I want us to think about this for a moment. Have you ever been double booked? It's very, I see some nods. That is very embarrassing. (laughs) It is very embarrassing. No one can be in two places at once. But isn't that what the Bible's teaching us here? We are. We're sitting here in church, our feet are firmly planted on planet Earth but we are also in glory with uh, with Jesus in heaven. We do live in two places. And this is a glorious truth. And I wonder how many of us have ever thought that heaven was only just for the future or that heaven was only just when you die. Well, it's not. 
It's already here. It's already now as hard as it is for our small minds to grasp all of that. And I want to share this with you because it gives us a wonderful perspective. Not just on the good days when life is sweet, but on those other days when life is sour. It changes everything. I don't know all of you, but I do know my own people, at least some of them. It's glorious to know that on the bad days and in the tough times, this is true. And when you're struggling in your faith, when you're doubting God, when there's pressure or disappointment, when you're finding it hard to make ends meet, when you don't want to go to work or you have no work to go to, or whatever it is for you, you've got this as well alongside all of that. Our friends... What's it saying to you if you're in heaven with Jesus right now? It's telling you that this world is not all there is. It's saying to you this life is not all there is. The best is yet to come and it will come. But we're not there yet. But hold on to that truth and let that flavor everything that happens in your days from here on. Dear friends, did you know? that by grace, through faith, you have left the grave. There's been a resurrection and you are in glory with Jesus just as you sit in church right now. And one day, you're going to taste the fullness and the wonder of all of that. But we're not there yet. And that's why grace has to keep doing its work. Now, what is that work in the here and now of life in the real world? Well, it's summed up in one word, and the word is change. Next slide, if we could, please, Jordan. Grace changes us. We're going to fast forward to verse 10, the last. And we read there, For we are God's workmanship, you have the ESV, God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, have you seen the wonder of this? Grace is taking each of us who by faith are joined to Jesus and God is at work to make you his personal remodeling project. And he doesn't make rubbish. And you know the beautiful picture the Bible paints of this? A potter and the clay. And so fitting for a text such as this. And you can picture a potter taking a lump of formless, ugly, brown clay. And he puts it on the wheel. And with his strong hands he gets to work to centre that clay, to smooth off the rough edges, to pick out the bits of stone and rubbish that are there. And as you follow it on, you begin to see a beautiful shape emerge. You see a vase and the walls rise and all the time the hands of the potter are at work for good. And that is the beauty of what grace does. It takes us and it makes us more and more like Jesus. 
Now, why do I mention this? Because it's in the text? Well, yes, but that's not really the reason I only mention it. Because at the time of the Reformation, this truth was a storm centre. The Roman Catholic Church held, and still does, that when you teach and preach grace like this, you are going to produce slack Christians. And here, congregation, is where we come to the dilemma. Could I have the next slide, please, Jordan? The dilemma. Does grace give you a license to sin? Because if all has happened, as we've said, if your salvation is secure, does it keep you? What keeps you from saying, well, look, I've got my ticket in. My salvation is secure. So if I sin, it doesn't really matter because it's all covered anyway. Does grace give you a license for sin? And the short answer is no. If that's what people say, it may be arrogance, it may be pride, it may be misunderstanding, but grace does not give you a license to sin. Why? And we'll see it again. We're coming back to that word and I'll need that next slide, Jordan, if you could please. Grace changes us. It makes us more and more like Jesus. And let's think through that for a moment. If your heart is hard, he can make it soft. If your tongue is sharp, he can make it sweet. If your Bible boring, sorry, if your Bible reading is boring, if your prayer life is dull and colourless, it can inject new life into all of that. If your marriage is troubled, he can help. And if you're a young man or a young woman, like I was many years ago, too full of attitude, he can change you for good. And he does, because that's his promise. And let's look at this from a slightly different perspective. For you or those not in church and you can't forgive your enemy, you can't forgive yourself for something in the past or you can't face tomorrow. You can by the grace of God and that is the wonder of grace. I'd like us to think of grace today as being something like a tea bag. We all use them. You have a cup of tasteless hot water. But you put that tea bag in and what happens? All of a sudden there is flavour. There is aroma. There is goodness. And that's what grace does. That's how God works. And at times, and let's be honest with one another, that is going to be uncomfortable. The changes he wants to make in you, you will not be so pleased about. 
But let us all hold to this, that he loves us too much to leave us as we are. He wants to make us like Jesus and get us into glory with Jesus to enjoy that forever and ever and ever. So friends, we need to ask one another and we need to look at our own hearts and ask a question. Has grace changed you? Is it changing you? Would those closest to you be able to answer that honestly and say, yes? It's an important question, and if I can change the figure just a little, has grace seeped into the cracks of your life, into your marriage, into this church, and is it changing you and your family? and your church for good. Pray that it will. Because 500 years ago, God took this truth, brought it home, and changed the world. And he can do that again. What must you do? Dear friends, it's a good question, isn't it? Let the grace of God amaze you. Be reminded again of that incredible transformation, that before and after. You were in the grave, but now you're in glory. Let it grip you. And let the grace of God change you. Because when God gets to work, it's always, ever, only for good. Let the grace of God change you for good, your family for good, this church for good. Just think what a difference that would make in our lives and families, in this city and across the globe. Pray that it will for the glory of God and the good of all mankind. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who brought manna into the desert, water out of a rock, and grace into the mess that sin has made. We thank you that grace has a name, a face, a body. Its name is Jesus. We thank you for your amazing grace, for your rich kindness and your overflowing mercy to us so undeserving. Please forgive us if instead of being amazed by grace, we've become accustomed to it. Today, give us a fresh vision of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we may taste afresh and see how good and gracious you are. And may that truth live in our hearts, transform our lives, our families, and this congregation for good. May it give us hope and joy and peace, especially when life is tough. And Lord, cause the truth of your grace to be more widely known. 
We live in a society where so many know what we're against. They don't actually know what we're for. So use us to be your ambassadors and hold us in the grip of your grace until the day we will stand before you without spot or wrinkle of sin. And we will have all eternity to praise you. And we ask that today we may start and continue to live to the praise of your glorious grace as we see it so wonderfully in Christ Jesus our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you.